What a blessing this morning it's been so far to be with you. And uh, I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Hebrews chapter number 6. Many of you have looked at this passage before. You probably heard sermons from it before. But I want to do it in a way that I can illustrate it. So I decided that I was going to do it with pictures a little bit to help you understand in verse number 19, is talking about that hope, of course, and the whole subject here, I really believe, is hope, that the uh, even the first part of Hebrews chapter 6 is giving us, a, if you could, brother, put that on the picture uh, up there also for me, uh, so I can see it, and uh, what a blessing it is to be able to understand that we have more than just optimism. And uh, many of us would look at this whole subject here of hope, and we find the first first six verses or so are actually confirming that a person cannot lose uh, their salvation. I look at it at that point, and I understand that when a person has become a born-again believer, that their name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We had a visitor this morning in Sunday school class that was I was able to show him from the Scriptures and help him a little more concerning salvation. And uh, you look back at the time when you had a discussion with God, you had an experience with God, and God began to work in your heart and show you that you did need to be, bo- need to be born again. You needed to have a conversion in your life, that experience of you then acknowledging that you are a sinner and need Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have the hope then living within you. Remember that faith, hope, and love work together. And uh, sometimes we talk about faith and how we need it. Sometimes we talk about love and how we need it. But I really believe in these days we need more understanding of of hope. Look at verse 11 of chapter 6. It says, We desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. And so there is that desire to edify and to encourage others to have that same kind of hope that we see in the Scriptures. And uh, I was thinking about this understanding of hope, and I saw the picture. There's a famous picture by G.F. Watts. I think it's George Frederick Watts, that he was an artist. And he named this picture Hope. And the setting, of course, of the picture is is at night, and it's in the picture of the woman sitting on a large rock. She is blindfolded and uh, has her head bowed down, and this woman's hand uh, is on the lyre. Of course, the lyre is a small stringed instrument like a harp. But if you look closely at this picture, you will notice that there is just one star, uh, I believe, in the sky. This particular picture doesn't have it. But there is one star in the sky, but there is also one string on the lyre. And uh, I, I really want us to think about this for a moment when we're talking about the subject of hope. So if you this morning divide hope into two categories, the first is what this picture represents, the, what, we could be, what we call hope, the world calls it hope. We could call it worldly hope. We deal with worldly sorrow, and worldly sorrow doesn't prevent, uh, doesn't uh, really produce anything for us until it turns to repentance. And then we have what we call divine uh, sorrow or a godly sorrow, and that's mapped out in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 through 11. Helps us understand a little bit about that worldly sorrow versus a godly sorrow. And in the passage here, we're talking about a godly hope, not a worldly hope. Worldly hope is really better defined as optimism. Maybe you've heard that word being used lately, that we need to be optimistic. But this woman on a rock blindfolded really represents the world in darkness and only one string 
uh, on, on, the, on, the, on the instrument is showing that she's kind of holding on to a kind of a worldly hope, and she's still uh, locked into her blindness. Optimism is not bad, but it will not save you. Optimism is a good thing, but it will not save you as an individual. And we have allowed the world to rob us of yet another world, another word, like I hope I can go to heaven or I hope I win the lottery or whatever. The most of time uh, this, this word is used in our culture, it really means I, I hope in a way that I'm optimistic about the outcome. And so it's really not a biblical word, this particular word, uh, as it's used in the context of this woman in this picture. An optimistic person is not a bad person. In fact, I, I like to be around optimistic people. Uh, they encourage me. They're always looking for the bright side of anything. Um, in fact, two ladies were staring at this particular picture in, uh, of the woman on the rock, and the optimistic person would say, I think the artist wanted everyone to know that she would never fall off of that rock. That's what I believe uh, the artist had in mind. And she was an optimistic person, uh, being around optimistic people, and that is a good thing. But I'd rather be around an optimistic person than a pessimist. Uh, an optimistic person, an optimist seems to sail through life pretty easy and pretty good. And you know who I'm talking about, the person that you enter into a conversation with and they're looking at the bright side of everything. This person has good humor. They have a pleasant attitude. Uh, we can even live a little, uh, a little bit more um, healthier by listening to Dr. Optimism and, and he will not even send us a bill. Uh, and sometimes we have that idea that, um, that God is good and so on, but we don't understand true biblical hope. We are just optimistic. And most of us in this world would admit that we'd rather live around an optimistic person than a pessimistic person. Um, most of us would admit that. The optimist is the kind of person who believes that a housefly is really looking for a way out. And that person will open the door or open the window. Uh, the pessimist says it will rain this afternoon and ruin everything. The optimist says, my, look at those beautiful clouds. I think I better grab a hat. Um, has a little bit of an understanding more. The pessimist comes to the breakfast table, and you might have one in, their, in your family. And they sit down and they say right away, have you used all the milk? While the optimistic person sits down and says, pass the milk. I could probably use the rest of it just different in their outlook on things. And maybe that's the way it is around your home. The pessimist, of course, is different than the optimist. A pessimist says, four years of Biden, it'll ruin us. But the optimist will say, God's on his throne. And he rules. And he'll heal our land. Someone went on to say that optimism is a good thing. But in reality, optimism is not the answer for this life and is certainly not the answer for eternal life. And when, you're at, when you are at, out knocking on doors or passing out tracts to people, a lot of times you'll ask them the question, are you going to go to heaven when you die? And most of them will say, I hope so. What we have done in this country is we've changed the meaning of optimism and put it put the term, really, hope in its place. Yeah. And what a person really is saying is that I'm pretty optimistic that I'm going to go to heaven. Well, you need to be more sure of that than just optimistic. Yeah. 
person who is only optimistic about their home in heaven is bound and will find their place in hell if they're not careful. You must wrap yourself in faith and in hope and in love. Not faith, optimism, and love. So I say to you this morning that optimism can be a counterfeit. Not careful. Worldly hope is a counterfeit to the real thing. And I don't like counterfeits. I like the real thing. I don't know about you, but I don't like Sam's Cola. I want Coke. Okay? It's just the way it is. When I was growing up, we had milk. It was dried milk. You ever have that? You buy it in a box? We had it when we were kids. It's what we had to have. And I was like at the kitchen table saying, how come I have to drink this fake milk? It was white water. It had an aftertaste. You know what I'm talking about? Last night before I went to sleep, I have a little comfort food. It's a little secret. I have raisin toast. I, I, I can't eat everything like I used to. Uh, and so I get a glass of milk out and eat my raisin toast, and that's my comfort food before I go to sleep. Everyone say, aw. Yeah. Thank you. I feel much better now. <laughs> I'm optimistic about my surgery coming up. You know. But I, I, I like cinnamon raisin toast, and, and I like a glass of milk. But sometimes when you grab that milk, doesn't that taste good when you chug it? Yeah. Doesn't, when you're fake, it's not really good. Maybe you know what I'm talking about, especially when there's lumps on top. Powdered eggs versus real farm-fresh eggs. We see the difference, you know, and we're not, we're not really that... We're not really that bright, but we can detect these things, right? Uh, yeah. Worldly hope versus godly hope. Worldly sorrow versus godly sorrow. And God help us to discern the two and move from optimistic thinking into a surety of the scriptures and basing it on the word of God. These things I write unto you that you may know you have eternal life. Living an optimistic life is kind of like this woman behind me. You, you have this desire, but yet you're still blind. You're hanging on by a thread. There isn't much there, really, because it's based upon only theory rather than the Word of God. And maybe it's based upon a religious act rather than the voice of the God of heaven. And so we have to move beyond that. And that's what I'd like to do with you this morning is just help you understand. I don't know about you this morning, but I I want the real thing. And I I want to be consumed with the godly hope of this book. And I'm tired of a society that is giving people false hope. I'm tired of a culture who keeps rewriting things. And I'm so tired of of hearing false definitions of, of real, true, healthy words. Down with optimism. Let us raise up authentic hope. Hope in Christ. Verse number 19, again, if you look at your Bibles, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that which within the veil, and understanding that only the priest can go through the veil, but now 
The veil has been torn to where you as an individual can go into the Holy of Holies and that veil is actually torn and on the other side of it is Christ in him crucified. And if you go through his flesh, you can enter into the Holy of Holies because he gave himself on the cross for our sins. There is now another picture I want you to look at just for a little bit. If we can, you thought about the woman being blindfolded and have no hope, and then there's going to be those that will have a God-centered hope, a Christ-centered hope. Now there's another portrait, and there's one of the real thing. It has a woman, of course, clinging on to the solid rock and clinging on to the cross of Christ, and she is resting her arms there upon that cross. And it seems like the waves are everywhere and that darkness is there and the lightning's perhaps in the background. If you look a little closer, of course, you see that the woman is looking upward. Her eyes are faced toward the heavens and her hope is found in a place that we can't see. Uh, The God of heaven sitting upon the throne. Someone wrote on truth's substantial rock, hope takes her seat. While waves tumultuous dash against her feet, the sky with blackened now becomes spread. Tempest, of course, threatens her devoted head. And louder and louder still the thunder sounds and the lightnings fling its fear and glare around and creation trembles, but fast anchored there, hope sits unshaken, never in despair. With eyes turned upward, whence her help descends, she waits expecting till the tempest ends. And we've heard the song, Till the Storm Passes Over. And I know that that's the thought this morning, and I hope that you understand where I'm going. And this second picture, of course, that I give you this morning is really a godly, Christ-centered hope with this world and all of its confusion I think it's important for us to remember that there is a godly hope that is available to all. Thank you, Parker. If we could move on a little bit to help you understand from the text that there are several things that I want to bring out of it, but I want you to know, first of all, that there is a foundation of godly hope. In other words, what is God's hope based upon? What is the foundation? We know that unless there is a firm foundation, there will be nothing but ruin. I have some people that have looked for homes and they call me up and they'll say, what do you think of this one, Pastor? And sometimes they'll show me a picture of a house and I'm looking at the house, I'm thinking, well, it looks pretty nice, but what about the foundation? And what is it made out of, you know? Uh, What is it sitting upon? And a lot of people down south are putting their houses on just a cement slab. It's a little easier, but we up north have seen that people had to dig a hole back in the day and they would probably use rocks from the farm and use concrete and put together one upon another and concrete in between them and tuck point it so it's strong and so that basement can actually endure the foundation and that house sits upon the foundation and sometimes it'll, it'll sink a little bit or the rocks adjust a little bit. They'll probably expand and contract somewhat and the house isn't too sturdy uh, as far as looking, but it's sure... On a found down, sure on a firm foundation, and so when we're thinking about hope and the foundation that hope is based upon, really is a biblical understanding. 
Uh, look at verse number 17 again. It talks about how that this hope is based on the immutability of God, and that is that God never changes. That's a big word, but it's God never changes. And the hope is built upon that, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel. And so really what it's talking about is that basing, basing it upon the word of God, that our hope needs to be based upon his word. The covenant is based upon the person who wrote it out and he signed it. And now we entered into this covenant with him that it is sure and it is solid giving us hope, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel. And I, I say I'm so thankful that I have put my trust in a God who never changes in a culture that's constantly changing. My hope is based on his immutability, not mine, because I have none. I change all the time, and, and so do you. And dear friend, listen to me this morning. Don't place your trust in people. Trust in God. Certainly, we're supposed to trust one another, but make sure you trust ultimately God's word and what God has to say. Rest in his promises, not the promises of your pastor or your priest or an evangelist or some doctor so-and-so. You know, I watched a video of his. I'm so sick and tired of people on there giving their own thoughts rather than the word of God. You ought to be based upon the scriptures. And when you have somebody speaking the scriptures, listen closely because they're giving you the truth. And the understanding that hope is based upon the immutability of God gives us the power and strength that that hope will never change if we place it in an unchangeable God. His promises that he's given to me, even from a little child up until now, godly-based sorrow and godly-based hope. And this hope is based on the truth of God. Also, in verse number 17, wherein God willingly, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs a promise, the immutability of the counsel, confirmed it by an oath. What, what a powerful statement. Verse number 18, that by two immutable, immutable things in which was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. It's confirmed by an oath. How can God swear upon anything greater than himself? He is God. And our hope is built upon him. Not circumstances. Not when a culture seems to be rotting away underneath us. We must understand that God is still on his throne and our hope is based in him. And on him, it is impossible for God to lie. The Bible says, God forbid, yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. Romans chapter 3, verse number 4. So our hope is based on an unchanging God that cannot and will not lie. And man-based hope will bring confusion and even greater damnation. Yeah. I think about how that illustration is being seen on the island of Fuji. Visitors, uh, Fiji, I should say, visitors to the Fiji Islands tell of a strange custom of calling the dead. I don't know if you ever heard of this, but the one who has suffered bereavement climbs to a high tree uh, of a cliff 
And, and then after mentioning the name of the deceased, he cries out pathetically, Come back! Come back! The heart-rending wail is filled with despair, with only the mocking echoes to underscore its sad frustration. Those who have recently lost a precious companion or a dear friend or a beloved child can well appreciate the forlorn figure. Just imagine the look upon his face as with tears streaming down his cheeks, he pitifully continues to plead, come back, come back. And all he hears is just the echo. And the person doesn't come home and doesn't come back. I don't know about you, but I've done funerals for, uh, and I've been to funerals for those that have been saved and for those that have not been saved. What a difference. Because we're not like those that don't have hope. We have hope. We have hope that when someone passes who we love dearly, that we are going to see them again. Uh, I was comforting a family this last week and spent time with them maybe three and a half, four hours on Friday afternoon late into the evening and got to know them a little bit better. See, at times of grieving, people seem to open up a little bit more. There's, there's probably questions that they have. And, uh, you know, when I, when I was on my way down to the visitation, I said, Lord, help me to help them answer the questions that they might have and help me to be there for them. And I'm, I'm not their pastor, but they asked me to step in, and I did. And I love the family. And the Dominguez family was sitting in the front row uh, of, the, of, the, of the funeral service yesterday morning. And you had Elizabeth and others, of course, were there, uh, friends. But there was uh, David and, and uh, oh, uh, Florencio, the father. Um, and there was other sons that were there. Uh, and uh, I remember getting to one point of the service where the person singing began to sing and every single one of them began to wail and weep. Back down in their mind and in their heart, they know that they're not without hope. And certainly there was the hurts in, in the departure and, and, and when we're having a funeral service, we know that that, that person is, is not there anymore, but we know that we're going to see them again, but still it hurts. Even Jesus wept at a funeral of Lazarus, someone who he found to be real, honest, and humble, and would love to sit down with the family many times, and he did with them, but Lazarus died. But Jesus said very clearly to them that I am the resurrection and the life, and if you believe in me, you'll never die. Wow, to believe all this? As I was thinking about the family, each one of them has put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ, and even though it was hard, they still have the hope. And hope gives us the power to persevere and the patience to wait upon God. Hope is unique. It's absolutely essential because if you lose hope, you lose everything. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. You look at the people that are sick this morning and, and through all kinds of confusion and difficulties, and I would say even that the mental illness sometimes comes because people have lost their hope and their mind is all messed up because they don't have that foundation of biblical hope. They had an optimistic desire, but they didn't have the hope of God in them. That's what we need this morning is the power and the hope of the living God living within us so that we can endure the difficult times when they come and we don't have to go to some mountaintop and scream, come back, because we know that they're in a better place. 
In fact, if you would talk to somebody that's over on the other side, they say, I don't want to come back, man. I've got to wear a mask if I come back. There's no masks up here. It's celestial air. Why would I come back there and have to stay six feet away from everybody? Why would I come back there? I couldn't attend church. I've got to watch you on some screen. I get to see Jesus. Why would I come back? Why would I come back? Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Optimism is not enough, dear friend. Man will lie and produce falsehoods, thinking that he can obtain greater heights and great heights for a while. And then it may seem to all go away. Thinking about how that sometimes people during their difficulties may make up stories, perhaps, a little bit, to make it better for them. I'm so thankful with the biblical hope that I don't have to give you some flowery things to think about. I can give you the word of God. A New Hampshire farmer took his horse to see a veterinarian, and he complained about the horse. He says, one day my horse limps all day long, and the next day he doesn't. What am I supposed to do? The veterinarian checked him out and said, well, I advise that you take him down to the auction on the day that he doesn't limp and sell him. It's one way of looking at things. Lies always seem to win, but truth is greater than the lie. For in time, truth always wins by surfacing. And it will. Truth will always rise if we accept it. CNN, Fox News, the rest of you, would you just please shut up and let truth rise? I'm so tired of watching these people on the news that have an agenda. All they're doing is reading a screen and they don't have any desire for this book to be exalted. They have no desire for God's will. They think they have all the solutions and I don't care how much money they're getting paid, it's not worth it all. I was thinking about the woman that asked me 24 years ago to come to her church and be their pastor. Had us at their meal. I did her funeral yesterday. I talked about it already, but she was close to me. In one way, that I, I, I knew that she reached out to me and she desired for me to come down and I had to tell her, no, I, I'm not going that direction. I remember when I would go down there because every time I preached now, you got to remember that I was making $483 every two weeks. That's 200 and some dollars a week. And I had three sons and I had a $900 amount rent. My wife didn't work. She took care of the home which is more work than... But you can imagine. So I go down there to preach, right? I got up and I said, you're going to preach twice. I said, okay, I'll bring two sermons. I, I didn't know you could preach the same message twice. I didn't. So I got up there and preached the message. I got all done, and then I had a little bit of a break, and then everybody came in. Some of them were at this church and so on, and this church, and he would come back to hear me at that time, and I, I, I preached a different sermon. And so they would give me two checks, on Sunday. For each sermon. $240. For each sermon. That's $480. That's what I make in two weeks on a little little sermon on Sunday morning. That, that parsonage looked pretty nice to me, to be honest with you. And that car package looked pretty good to me at that time. But you know what I wanted? I wanted to pasture some sheep. 
Some people that have been born from above, and maybe they were. I don't know. But I sensed God leading me away from the place, and I began to tell them. And then finally the third time, they said, would you come? And I said, no, and I hung up the phone. And, they, and, and Judy was part of that. And as soon as I hung up the phone, I was, my hand was still on the phone, it rang, and it was Grace Baptist Church. I'm telling you the story again, because I want you to understand, I'm not here because of money. I'm here because I have a passion to see to it that truth is elevated in a culture of lies. And that's why we need preaching from the scriptures rather than just good stories. That's why we need to understand the scriptures. And that's why there's a Bible Institute here. And it's going to begin in a little bit. And we're going to talk about the prophetic understanding and biblical doctrine concerning prophecy that will help us understand the word of God. But let me tell you this morning is that your salvation has been confirmed by the oath of the living God. It's not based upon your optimistic outlook. It is impossible for God to lie. I think sometimes we just need to wait and truth will rise. And they buried truth, of course, 2,000 years ago, but it took only three days for truth to come out of the grave alive. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our hope is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Remember the song? How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he hath said? To you for refuge, to Jesus have fled. Verse number 18, that by two immutable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us. And so we looked at the foundation of godly hope. Let me just give you the description quickly. Look at the key verse, verse number 19, which hope we have. It is a hope that we can possess. And all those who have received Christ as their personal Savior already possess this hope. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. We possess hope just like we possess faith and love. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be always ready to give an answer to every man that asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. This hope can be made personal too. It is a hope that is an anchor to your soul. An anchor is not held to something on this side of heaven. No, your anchor is actually holding to something that has already crossed over. Where is Jesus? That is where your anchor is. The anchor was attached to Jesus Christ and is on the other side. The Bible makes it clear in the verses. If we were to look at verse number 17, it says, Wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto you heirs the promise, the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, Look what it says in verse number 19, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whether the forerunner is for unto us entered, even Jesus made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And so we are.
the clouds unfold, they're in the wings of strife. And when the strong tides lift and the cables strain, will your anchor drift or firm remain? We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. And so it is a hope we cannot, we can possess, and it is a hope that is anchored, but it is also a hope that is sure, both sure and steadfast. This is not an optimism. It is an absolute. And so this word has a negative participle, if you would, or particle involved with the means that this particular word, both sure, means will not fail. Um, Dealing with unmovable, again, has the negative particle, unmovable, will not be moved. It means it is for certain. The same word is used in the introduction given to us in Luke chapter 1, verse number 4, where it talks about the certainty of those things. That is a unmovable, sure, for certain understanding. And so we do not have to guess with this hope in Christ, for it is sure what kind of life would it be if we just had only an optimistic outlook. God didn't want us to just live that way. He wanted us to live a life where we are steadfast and sure. And the word steadfast here has to do with stability. Do you struggle in the area of being steadfast? Then put your hope in Christ. This is the day of instability. Look around you. Christian, you do not have to live unstable and insecure. You can live with the certainties of the scriptures. I think about how that there's a page in Wesley's writings. This particular portion was taken from one of his readings. It says a page from Wesley's, John Wesley's diary, and it reads this as a follows. Sunday morning, May 5th, I preached at St. Anne's and was asked not to come back anymore. Sunday p.m., May 5th, I preached at St. John's, and the deacon says... We'd just like you to leave and never come back. Sunday a.m., May 12th, I preached at St. Luke's. Can't go back there either. Sunday evening, May 12th, I preached at St. George, kicked out again. Sunday a.m., this is his writing, May 19th, preached at St. Somebody Else's. Deacons called special meeting and said I couldn't return. Sunday, p.m., May 19th, preached on the street, kicked off the street. Sunday, a.m., May 26th, I preached in the meadow. I was chased out because the neighbor led his bull toward me, loosed on me. Sunday, a.m., June 2nd, I preached at the edge of town, but I was kicked away into the highway. Sunday, p.m., June 2nd, Afternoon service, I preached in a pasture and 10,000 people showed up. What kept John Wesley going was not optimism. It was the eternal hope of God breathing every time he breathed. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. 
Don't quit. Stay the course. Colossians chapter 1, of course, helps us understand to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. If Christ is in you, then you have the hope of glory. You've already stepped out on that celestial shore. You're already there with him. You're seated in the heavens. Dear friend, we don't have to walk around like wimps. Take your mask off and preach the gospel. It's interesting as we think about this because our culture would like to muzzle us. They would like to separate us. And if we let them, they will. Unless we speak up, we will all be bound and not be able to get the gospel out to the regions that need to hear. Not trying to be mean this morning, trying to be as gentle as I can, but there's a task before us. It is a task that doesn't allow us to be blindfolded sitting on a rock with only one string on the harp. There is a hope living within us that we can look toward God and say, I can do anything with God. In all things, I can be successful and I can prosper as long as God is with me. I can do anything. The prosper and the proper use of this hope is explained throughout the Bible, and this hope will keep the soul calm in the day of adversity. It will sustain the soul in the time of trouble. This hope will not remove the storm, but it'll keep you calm, and it'll keep your soul calm during the storm, and this hope will quiet the winds and the waves around you, perhaps as they try to push you down. The most faithful Christian does not find himself exempt from the storms of life. But during those conflicts and difficulties and those cares and calamities, you can have an anchor that's steadfast and sure. That when the storm gets over, you're still hooked to the anchor. Take away godly hope, someone said, and you'll take away the enjoyment of prosperity. Deprive man of this hope and you will take away the only support and solace of adversity. The most, the most prosperous without hope would soon become the most wretched. The poor and afflicted without it would sink into dark self-despair. To deprive man of hope is to rob him of his dearest treasure extinguish hope and you extinguish life for who could live without this hope it is the last lingering light that shines in the human breast it shines when every other light seems to be put out quench it and the gloom of affliction will be darkness cheerless and endless but we we have an anchor of the soul. I'm reminded of a passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 7. I won't turn there this morning. But I will say this that it's important for us to know that in Luke chapter 7, there was a woman that was crying out with despair. It was her son that was in the coffin. And she wept, and Jesus had mercy on her. Jesus walked over and said, don't worry. Yes. And she, he touched the coffin and said, arise! Yes. And that little boy came up. Can you imagine the joy? 
Can you imagine the hurt and the difficulty that that woman went through? Can you imagine the difficulty that she was going through at a time when, when probably she had only that little boy to look to and then now he's in a coffin? And then Jesus comes along. You see, he will change everything. Someone wrote a poem called When Jesus Passed By. And then they wrote music to it. What a beautiful thought and an understanding that if you put Jesus Christ back into the picture, you have put hope back into the picture. And if you're going through your daily life and walking this side of heaven without hope living within you, then you are doomed. And all you have is an optimistic thing. And as you stand at Quick Trip and the guy in front of you buys a lottery ticket and he hopes to win, you have that same hope in you, that same optimistic thinking until you have received Christ as your Savior. To them that have received him, them, that those have become and have the power to become the sons of God. You see, we can't just have a religious outlook here. It's, we need a personal touch of the Master's hand. And he will give you that hope. He will live within you. That hope that is within you, not only of this life, but also the life to come, to be with him. What a blessing. Christ crucified, buried, rose again. We're getting into the religious Lent season, but we're getting into the Palm Sunday coming up, not too far in the future, and we're getting into Resurrection Sunday. It'd be wonderful if we could have our choir back, wouldn't it, for that Sunday? Telling you, have a breakfast downstairs, and everybody come together. Instead of Sunday school, we could just have fellowship and have a big service up here with the choir singing. It'd be great time. Think about that. What a blessing that would be. Because the greatest thing we can tell this world of people is that Jesus loves them enough to die for them and to suffer their hell so they can go to heaven. He did all of that. Oh, that we would have that hope, that firm understanding, not only of his blood, but of his righteousness being imputed unto us. Cleansed, yes, but also sealed until the day of redemption. What a wonderful truth and what a wonderful hope that we have. It's an anchor of the soul. I am unmovable in Christ. Amen? Every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. Maybe there's somebody here this morning that said, Pastor, I was just coming to a regular service today, but I realized that I've never put my faith and trust completely in Jesus Christ. I've been optimistic about him, but I've never received him. And so today is a day you'd think of your mind, by the way, he's already been working in you. He's saying, come unto me. Say yes, Lord, yes. Have your will and have your way. Maybe this morning you'd say, Pastor, I'm not sure if I'm going to go to heaven. I don't have that confident hope. But I would love for someone to show me how I can from the scriptures. And maybe this morning you just simply raise your hand. No one's looking around and say, Pastor, would you please pray for me? I won't point you out, but I'll pray for you. I'm not sure, but I'd like to know. Is there anyone? Just lift up your hand and put it back down again. Thank you. Anyone else? Say, I need Christ to live within me. I'm not sure if he's there. Anyone? Anyone? 
Just lift up your hand and put it back down with this one. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else with these two say, I need Jesus in my life? Anyone? Then, Christian, this message was for you. Was Hebrews written to the lost? It was written to those Jews that needed to believe and understand how we ought to respond in the burial, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Christ. And maybe this morning you say, Pastor, I needed that this morning. But there's some things in my life. Would you just please pray for me? I'm struggling. I need your prayers. No one's looking around, dear friend, and I will pray for you. Thank you for your honesty. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God wants to hear you. He already knows what's going on in your heart, but he wants you to agree with him that it's a problem. So the best thing you can do is come and talk to him. This is an old-fashioned altar. If you need to come, you come. No one will bother you. You just take care of the things here in this altar today with God. Maybe it's for church membership. Maybe it's for baptism. Whatever the issue is, take the next step and say, Yes, Lord, I'm ready. And come. With every head bowed and every eye closed, we just stand to your feet, no one looking around this morning. I'm going to pray, and as soon as I'm done, the piano's going to begin, and that'll begin of our invitation. If you need to come, say, Yes, Lord. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct in the invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.